All right, good morning. We're going to be in Matthew 5, if you want to take your Bible and turn to Matthew 5 with me, I'd appreciate that. If you don't have a Bible, you can certainly grab one out of the pew rack right in front of you and uh, use that to follow along. And maybe you don't have a Bible at all in, uh, at home, you can take that as a gift. We'd love for you to have that and take it home and, and use that all the time. Matthew chapter 5. We, uh, we are continuing our series. Uh, Alice and I joked it's kind of like a mini-series within our bigger series. The mini-series is the Sermon on the Mount, right? And the bigger series is written that you would believe. And as we've gone through the gospel uh, Gospels, we started navigating the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, in, in the best we can, a chronological order. Um, we find that the text there was written that you and I would see it, believe it, and we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing that we would have life in his name. This is not just for our history or for our our knowledge, it is that it changes us and transforms us, and that is what uh, God intends to do through his word and as, as it is taught. When we started into the Sermon on the Mount, uh, I gave an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, and what we saw is that, that the Sermon on the Mount was to be uh, uh, to, to reveal kind of the blessing of the kingdom, that, that, and it would challenge you and I as, as hopeful citizens of the kingdom of heaven, uh, that, how we would live and what we would look like. And uh, it would reveal the, who the kingdom's Messiah was, that the kingdom's Messiah is Jesus Christ. And it's, it's not us, it's not somebody else, it's Jesus. And, uh, and that citizens of this kingdom would, would have responded from their heart in faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's just a, a, a starter, that's a starting place for us. We, we have to understand that we come to faith in Christ uh, from the heart. It's not because we read a story. It's not because we attended a church. It's not because we were good people. That does not make us citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, Alistair did a great job after this introduction. He went into the Beatitudes last week and, and talked about uh, just what qualifies someone to be blessed, to be happy, to, to, to be righteous. And that was their faith. It was from the heart, right? That, that from the heart, they would be poor in spirit. That they would be mourning over their desperate situation, uh, that they needed a savior, that they would be hungry and thirsty uh, from a, a meekness for, for righteousness that only could be found in Christ. And that, that, that faith, as they had that faith, uh, they would be blessed, but, but then it would start to change them and transform them. And that transformation would, would look merciful and, and be, be pure of heart and peacemakers, but it would also end in persecution. And persecution would be part of what the citizens of the kingdom of heaven would endure. And so we're going to be looking at a little bit of that today. We move right along uh, into Matthew 5, 13. We're going to be in 13 through 16, just four short verses today. Um, but, but as we get there, I wanted us to understand and remember something. Um, when I first started this, I, I gave you a quote from uh, R. Kent Hughes, and, and here's what he said. He said, as we expose ourselves to the x-rays of Christ's words, we see whether we truly are believers, and if believers, to the degree of the authenticity of our lives. No other section of Scripture makes us face ourselves like the Sermon on the Mount. It is the antidote to the pretense and sham that plagues Christianity. And I, and I remember we said that, and, and it was kind of like, ooh, that's kind of eerie, right? What are, what's going to be exposed? I, I understand that, that as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, even our text today, it will feel unnerving for some of us. It might feel unrelenting for some of us. It might feel at times violent against us, but uh, I said this the first week, this violence is, is good. It's, it's against a, a heart that might be opposed to God. So you might find yourself here today like, I, I'm willing to love Jesus, but in some areas of your life, you may be absolutely opposed to God. And so this is going to reveal that. 
And you, you don't have to check your life and, and see, what does my life look like? Is it lining up? Am I embracing worldly things or, or religious tradition rather than Jesus himself? So I'm going to go and pray for us as we start, and then we'll read Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Father, we again thank you so much for your love and your grace. We thank you that you've allowed us to come together today to worship you, to, to sing to you, to pray to you, to lift up our brothers and sisters around the world. And God, now as we come to your word, I ask that you would quiet our hearts. Expose our hearts. Humble our hearts. God, that our hearts might be receptive to hear from you. And that we would be changed and challenged and transformed by the power of your word and the power of your spirit. And God, you would be conforming us more and more into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his glorious name we pray. Amen. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's Word. Today's title is A Christian's Influence for God's Glory. A Christian's Influence for God's Glory. One of the things I want to just preface this with is, is this. As we come uh, to this point of Scripture where Jesus calls us to go, calls us to be something and do something and live a certain way, we must understand that, that our influence is coupled with God's influence, right? That, that really, someone's salvation is not dependent on me. It's dependent on God, and God wants to use me. And if, if I say no, that influence is now gone, and God will probably raise someone else up and influence. But you and I have this splendid opportunity to respond in faith and in faithfulness to God and to be an influence for good in the world around us. But before we start and get into our, our two points, which I failed to put on your notes, but they're only two, um, I, I want us to, to look at this and answer this question. Why is there a need for salt and light? Why is there a need for salt and light in our world? Anyone want to take a stab at that? I mean, you turn on the news and you can probably see, right? The world is not all it's cracked up to be. The world says that what's being done around us and being accomplished around us is progress. Right? It says it's progress. It is not. Now, while intellectually and scientifically and industrially and uh, in, th in those kind of ways, we are far superior than we ever have been, the moral decay has gone in the opposite direction. And this should not come as a surprise. In fact, I, I would argue this, that man's knowledge, his, his pr progress in those areas, has, has been used to intensify and defend corruption. We, we want to find new ways to do evil. And, and so I'm going to take you through a little journey here. You say, Brandon, that's kind of pessimistic that the world's so bad. Well, I, I don't know that it is. I think it's reality. Uh, it didn't take long in Genesis chapter 6, uh, right after the fall. So uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, beautiful place, had everything they needed in community with God, walked with God, and then they sinned, right? There was the fruit. They, they saw it. They desired. They ate. And then they were separated from God because of sin. And the Bible says that when sin entered the world, death entered the world, and decay, destruction. 
And it doesn't take long, many generations, to get to, to, to uh, Genesis 6. And, and here's what it says in Genesis 6, uh, verse 5. It says, When the Lord saw that humid wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord had regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. We're, we're talking a couple of chapters of text from perfect union with God to corruption like that. And then what happened after that? The, the flood came, right? The flood came. He called people to repent. They did not, and he flooded the entire earth. Well, let's go and look at maybe, you know, that's not today, Brandon. That was a long time ago. We're different now. Follow, follow along here. Romans chapter 1, and you know, you can just listen. Here, here's what Paul says about these folks who are exchanging the truth of God with a lie. It says, they, they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God. And God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do not do what is right. They are filled, not just a little bit, they are filled with unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters. They are arrogant, proud. They are boastful. Get this, they are inventors of evil. They're disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they applaud others who practice them. I mean, if you took Romans 1 and put it up as a, as a filter, or as a screen for this world, you'd be like, oh, it's the exact same thing is happening now. And, and I do want to mention something, because I'm putting this, this whole pessimistic view on the world and how bad it is. If you go through that list I just read, murderers and disobedient to your parents were on the same list. Do you understand that? Like we're talking about the heart of humans that is evil. Uh, quarrels or, or gossips, right? God-haters and unloving are on the same list, and they're separated from God. There is hope, though, and that is Jesus, and we'll get to that as we cruise along here. And you still may say, well, Brandon, that was back then. It doesn't mean we're bad now. And I, I say I, we can challenge that, right, by looking at the world around us. But Paul writes in Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3, he says this, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. Scripture says that the evil people will just become more and more evil. So I, I, it's, it's hard for me because I... I love to take a stand. I want to do what's right for society and community. But if you look around all the nations of the world, it is very rare you're going to find actual moral progress somewhere. You're going to find real moral decline. You might find industrial progress and, and, and policies that help us do better at building things or infrastructure. But when it comes to our morality, people are pushing away God, pushing away the Scriptures and saying, I will not buy into that. I want what I want. And they will even invent evil, and, and Paul says they become worse and worse. So what we just see in the text today, and in the rest of the Scripture, is then the Lord sending us into the world, to that world, to be an influence. Oh man, saddle up, right? Here we go. I mean, we like, hey, we come here, and we're like, I'm, I'm safe, I feel good, we're in our church, we're with our community, we're with our people we love, and we feel like they're, they're on the same page, and then I go out in the world and like, oh, six days, man, I got six days and I'll be back in again. What God is saying and what we'll see today is that God is, has brought his church 
And, and God has said, I've redeemed you and you're the righteous and you are my church. And in my strength and my power, you are going to go out those doors and you're going to stand like a wall against the pressure of the decay. That you and I, as God's church, for some odd reason God has established, that you and I are going to be holding back this evil. That is the role that we have. And I think we, we in the church in America have become too passive in that. that we, don't, we just had our Sunday school class before this uh, service, and we were talking about persecution and, and talking about the, the boldness that we saw in the early uh, church in the book of Acts, and, and it was amazing. But I think sometimes we kind of settle back and like, oh, well, I don't want to ruffle feathers. I'm just going to live and let live. And, and, and we need to speak up. And it's in the small times where, where someone, you're in a, in a group of people at your office or, your, or in your work or in your, in your school, and they start hounding on somebody, talking behind their back and really building up the resentment, really building up the, the and it might just be like, no, no, let's, let's not do that. That's not for us to speak about. We don't need to say that. Just hold the line. Hold it back. Speak truth and speak life into the world around us. God has put us there as an influence. And it is crazy. And, and sometimes I, I am with you. There are plenty of times I'm like, I'm just laying down my sword. I'm laying down my tools. I'm just going to sit here on the mountain and wait for Jesus to return. Because all these people, they want to go to hell. They can go to hell. I'm, I'm waiting. But that's not what God says for us to do. God says that we are to be salt and to be light. Jesus in his high priestly prayer he prays, he prays the world, Father, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Wow, Jesus was a pretty great influence in the world, wasn't he? And now he's saying, I'm sending them, you and I, into the world. But, in 1 John, he says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, so there's this, this rub, like, like the world is horrible and it's crazy and it's icky and it's yucky and God says, go into it. But don't love it. Don't love the world and the things of the world, but, but go in there and serve them. Go in, them and, go in there and, and, and uh, reveal my, me to them. Go, but don't become of them. We are to influence the world and not be influenced by the world. And then we see in 1 Peter this, this glorious passage. It says, you are a chosen race. Talking about the church, those who have come to faith in Christ and put their hope and trust in Him. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, so that, you may, with our lives and with our words and with our influence, that you may proclaim the praises, the glory, the praises of the, of the One who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Listen, you and I were all once there too. And may, maybe for some of you, you're still there. You're still dead in your sin and lost and just finding new ways of evil to be corrupt. God wants to save you from that and redeem you from that. He wants to forgive you. He, he, he wants to so badly that He sent His one and only Son and He gave Him up to die in your place, the death you deserve to die. And He bled and, and, and He sacrificed Himself so that you could have forgiveness and life and hope in Christ. And when we come to faith in Christ, now we are sent into the world by Christ to proclaim His excellencies, His praises, His glory through our lives, through our words, through our influence. And, and, to, and to describe and tell how we were called out of darkness and into light. And that's where we start today. A Christian's influence for God's glory, number one is this. You are salt. Number one, you are salt. That's our influence. You're salt. And, and I think you and I could probably ask this question. What, what possible influence could I have? We are 
we are in such a minority. And if you look at the, not only the minority, we are in such a, a weakened state because what Alistair presented last week to us was the Beatitudes, right? And, and it talked about those who are poor in spirit, those who were, were um, pure in heart or they're, they're, they're mourning, right? They're hungry and thirsty. They're, this is who we're talking about. So what possible influence could the people described there in the world have? What lasting good could the poor and the meek and those who mourn and the merciful do? It seems they would be overwhelmed by the evil in the world. Well, it does. But through our text this morning and the rest of Scripture, it seems Jesus would disagree with that. Because he says, Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I'm going to bust through some text here with us. Another text that correlates with this in Luke 14. Salt is good. Salt is good. As opposed to the world that's bad. Salt is good. But if salt loses its taste, how can it be made salty again? It's not fit for soil or the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Listen, God intends that the most powerful and restraining influence to be His own redeemed and righteous people. And we live in a time where, where sin and decay and darkness are undeniable. But he's called us to be a, a great influence. It, it is needed now more than ever. And, and as he says, you are salt, I want us to look at that a little more closely. It says, you are the salt of the earth. This, this you is an emphatic tense, and it, it gives this emphasis that you and you only. Like you, I'm talking to you. Hey, you are the salt of the earth. And, and one of the things we need to understand, it is both emphatic for you, but it's also plural where it's talking about his church, his bride, that we, as the body of Christ, we and we alone are the salt of the earth. I think we get too caught up sometimes to say, well, you know what? There's some good people in leadership. There's some nice people I know. You know what? They can handle the, the council member position. They can handle that. They'll, they'll lead. They'll be okay. They'll do their best. It's not good enough. If they are unredeemed, it is not good enough. We, you and I, are the salt. We're the good. We, we're what comes in and helps heal you and no one else are the salt of the earth. So if you were thinking other people should do it, you're wrong. You are the salt of the earth. Today, right now, you are salt. And it didn't say this. You should be salt. Okay, strive your best to be salt. Work hard and, and present yourself as salt to the world. Jesus came out plainly and said what? You are salt. You, you are, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You're no longer your own. You were bought at a price, and now you are salt. Like, I don't have the power. Yes, you do. I've indwelled you with my Holy Spirit. You are salt. I think what he would say next is, go be salt. You are salt. Go be salt. In the ancient Greek history, salt was actually held as divine. Divine. It was, it was one of the most valuable resources there was. In the Roman world, it was believed that nothing was more valuable than salt, except for the sun. Nothing was more valuable than salt. Roman soldiers were often paid in salt. And that's where we get the saying, he's not worth his salt. Right? I don't need gold or uh, greenback dollar bills. Give me some salt for my pay, right? Salt was used in the ancient world in, in several different ways. Here's a couple to highlight. It, would, it was used in the world to purify right? You think about water and if it's something that could kill it, right? 
purify, to preserve like meats. There was no refrigerator or deep freeze back then. They used salt to preserve their food and to transport it over miles and miles to other places. It was also added as what? Flavor, right? To flavor things. Have you ever, I mean, have you ever gone to a restaurant and like you order something and like you hope the chef has seasoned it perfectly and you eat it like, man, that is bland. I need some salt on that, right? Or maybe you, you've been to someone's house and like you've eaten something and like maybe there's too much salt on that. It's like, are you trying to preserve this for make jerky out of it or something? I don't know, you know? There, there's a little too, and that's, that's another illustration. There can be too much salt. Right? There needs to be this balance of what kind of salt we are. Is it, is it salt that just will just turn us off or is it salt that preserves and heals? That's the other thing, it was healing. Not only for flavor, but for healing. It was used to heal. Rubbing salt in a wound was a good thing to do. We think it's bad. It's of great, great value. Salt, if we think about all salt does, it's of great, great value. But it's only of great value when it's pure. What does it look like to be salty? I just want to show you a couple things. In Matthew chapter 5, look back to that. But go up to the Beatitudes again, and we're just going to cruise through from verse 7 on. What does it look like to be salt? What, what are some of the characteristics of salt as a believer? Well, blessed are the, what? Merciful. That you're, you're merciful. You show mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. There's that purity thing. This is important for salt. That you're pure in heart, that your motives, that your attitudes are pure, that we would go purely to people and, and love people with a, from a pure heart, love God from a pure heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. I, I mean, and we take a stand, and we, we stand as that wall, like retarding back and, and arresting evil, but it, it's still going to come through, but we, we hold the line, right? But, and that's being a peacemaker. And blessed are those who are persecuted. This is who salt people that are persecuted. Listen, if you're not salt to the world, they're not going to reject you. If you want to just sit back and be passive on that hill, you sold all your stuff like the Thessalonians, say, I'm here, Jesus, come take me home. You, no one's going to persecute you. Satan, Satan is done with you. He's got you out of the way, on a hill, hill, far away, and you're done, right? That, that's what Satan wants, that distraction and that division and that isolation. You're, you're, you're worthwhile. Not worth, you're, sorry, you're worthless, assault and what's what's it good for to be thrown out and just trampled by men but but we're talking about what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven it is not to be removed from society it's not to be passive it is to stand strong and say i want to be salt i'm going to be merciful with those i talk to i'm going to be pure in heart a peacemaker and i know i will be persecuted our lives are to be a faithful witness of the power of the gospel of jesus christ it's not even that i take a stand and say you're wrong i'm going to legislate you to be right it is that I have been called out of darkness and I have been called into the light of the grace of Jesus Christ through faith in him and I am no longer me. That old person is dead and the new person has come and, and I am in Christ. And when I am salt, I, I reveal that to the world that I am new. He has made me new. I once was dark and now I'm light. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's what we reveal to the world as we, as we approach with salt. It's not to say, this is wrong. Stop doing it. But I think in gentleness, it, you can say, hey, listen, this is the, the wrong idea. This is, this is the wrong direction. And, and maybe here's why. But, but we, we come with the gospel. We say, Jesus is the answer. We are not the answer. We preach Christ, not ourselves. And we'll see that in a few minutes as well. When we, when we are faithful to witness for Christ, we do that both in our talk and our walk. That should line up. 
you and I, I think, are, are often good at the talk. I can, I can say where I stand and what I believe, but then living that out is not always easy to do. A pure life, a pure life, a pure heart, a merciful life is, is what has the influence that God is talking about. And a pure heart brings about a pure life. A pure heart brings about a pure life. We should desire to know God more and through our life, then make Him known. I want to know God more and then I want to make Him known. There was a quote this morning, I didn't bring it in with me, that I read in Sunday school. And I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but, but St. Augustine said this. He said, I'm going to pray like God, everything depends on God. And I think we stop there sometimes. Like, okay, if I just pray and let God do it, I don't have to, I don't have to get involved. He said, I, I'm going to pray like everything depends on God, and I'm going to work like everything depends on me. And, and we'll let God sort it out at the end. I think being salt means not only my faith and my trust in Christ, but also in my actions, my deeds, my works, and what I do for Christ is important. I want to read a, a story of Woodrow Wilson. He actually told this story. He said, there was a time I was sitting in a barber shop in a chair when I became aware of a power, powerful personality that entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut, and he sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not in the least uh, didactic, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody was in that chair. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noticed the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. I get goosebumps reading that. I think we think pushing back against evil is like, let's get the picket stakes and go out there and on the streets and like we're going to go for it. I think it is, it is the mere fact that we go to a barber shop and, and our interest is in other people and our words and our thoughts and, and, our, and the motivations behind us are pure and that we engage in that reality and we, in doing so we push back upon the evil that wants to creep in. And when we leave, we leave it better than it was. We make a mark where people are like, what just happened? What just occurred? So the question I want to ask you is, do you leave places that way? Do you come in and, and do you add seasoning to it? So when you leave, People are like, man, that, that, was, that was nice. Something, something amazing happened here. I, I'm going to think differently right now. I'm gonna, I might be challenged in some ways. Or do you walk in useless salt, not worth seasoning the room? And do you leave it the same way it was and just walk out and think, I, I'll figure it out on my own. I'm going to leave, leave that be. Being salt means I'm going to make a mark, even, even so slightly, from a pure heart that transfers into a pure life. The great blessing of the Beatitudes leads us to a great responsibility of being salt and light. Let me ask you this. How does salt lose its taste? Or, or how does salt lose its saltiness? 
Okay, too much water. Salt, salt doesn't stop being salty unless you add impurities to it. If you compromise salt with other agents, it's no longer salt. It's chemically something different now. So for you and I that desire and, and are called, not called to be, but we are called salt, we are called light, we are called salt. When will we be unsalty? When we let in other impurities. You, you understand that? Like that, that's when we aren't salty. It's when we let the world come in and influence our lives and it mixes in and there's impurity there that shouldn't be there and now we're, what the scripture, his word's not mine, good for nothing, worthless. Not good for the manure pile. We're good to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And, and I, I say that because Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And he's talking about the citizens of the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a citizen of the kingdom of God who is called worthless for the kingdom of God. I want to be of worth. I want to be found faithful. And I want to do that from a pure heart that has been blessed by God. Say, God, you, you've done so much for me. I'm, I'm going to live a life from a pure heart and from faith in you that shows the world around me the, the legitimacy of that faith. I want to be the salt you have told me that I am. So don't compromise your purity. There's a war happening against decency, against sanity, against common sense, and mostly against God. There is a war. So a, a few short verses. This is the longest section of my text, by the way, but a few short verses uh, or, or passages to help us understand what this looks like. A little more build on what does it look like to be salt. First Timothy, Paul writes this. And I think you'll see some correlations here to the Beatitudes. He says, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, along with the persecutions and suffering that came to me. Like, he's like, you, you've seen my life. It's full of faith and endurance and love, and along with that is persecutions. Then he goes on, evil people and imposters will become worse. I read that earlier, right? Deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, here's, here it is. The world is all bad, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Continue in that. You know those who taught you, and you know from infancy that you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. What Paul says is, listen, Timothy, go to the Word of God. Go build on that. That's, that, that's what you have to do is go build on that. Continue on that. Because if you don't, Satan is going to get in there and he, he will lead you away to the world. Be pure, be salt. Don't let those things come in. <clears throat> All Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correcting and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God might be complete, equipped in every good work. Complete and equipped. That's what we need to be, right? So the Word of God is so important for us. But I think there's also the hope in God. As we, as we want to be salt, there's a hope in God. We want to be pure. We hope in Him. How can we hope in Him? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he died on the cross, and when he was buried and he rose from the dead, he died in my place, a substitutionary death, the death I deserve to die because of my sin. But then he was buried and he rose again, conquering sin and death once and for all, saying that, hey, I'm going to rise, and you that have faith in me, guess what? You'll rise too. You were, you were dead, and now through faith, you're alive. 
That, that is a hope that's huge. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Therefore what? What is therefore? Therefore. Because you have such a hope in Christ and that he has conquered death and that even though you die, you're still going to live. We have a hope, amen? It, it doesn't matter what those people out there might say about you or do to you. We talk about persecution worldwide. We talk about persecution on our streets. It's all about people not wanting to, they want to cancel the gospel. Go ahead, you can cancel me, but you will never cancel the gospel. And I want to be on the gospel's team. Therefore, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor is not in vain. That is, that is a truth you have to hold on to. If you want to actually go out and live as though you are salt because you are, you need to know your labor is not in vain. You may not see the fruit of it that, that day. You might even not see it your lifetime. It, but it's God's fruit, and God's doing the work. Your labor is not in vain. In Titus, he writes this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. Right? Why, is, why is it not in vain? Because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. That's what we want, right? We're holding back this wall of evil. We're, we're presenting ourselves as salt, and eventually we'll see light to the world to reveal the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God that has appeared, and bringing salvation. And, and he, he is instructing us to deny. This is, again, what do we do? We deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for our blessed hope. What's the, we just talked about that blessed hope. The reality of, of Christ raising us at the end that we'll be with him forever. And then, and then we, we liken that to, to one of the, my, my next passages, 1 John uh, 3. We, we see this hope, and I want us to understand what this hope does for us. We have a hope, and John says, see what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is it didn't know Him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when He, God Jesus, appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope, what's the hope? That Jesus made all things new, that in him I can trust, and that he's going, to make, he's going to raise me up in the last day, that I am a child of God. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Again, when we were salt, we have to be pure. And, and pure life comes from a pure heart. And a pure heart comes from the fact that Jesus has got you. He's taken care of it. Your hope is in him. A Christian who is salt is humble, hopeful, they're kind, they're merciful. A Christian who is salt is pure, is uncompromising, they are patient and enduring, and the list can go on and on and on. So if that's what we are, if, and it comes from a pure heart, this pure life, Colossians says, act then wisely toward outsiders, wisely. How do we be salt? We be salt wisely, making the most of the time, not wasting the time. And it says, let your speech always be gracious. That's salt. right? And seasoned with salt. So you might know how you should answer each person. Every single person we come in contact with is different. And the amount of salt we use with every person is different. But it comes from us desiring to be wise and compassionate and gracious to others around us. I want us to, to, I wrote a list of things down. This is not a comprehensive list. 
Being salt means we're going to be good citizens. We're going to be good neighbors. We're going to be good friends. But we can't take the stand, and I said this earlier, that, oh, the world's got this. There's people in places that they'll figure it out. They'll get it on. I mean, I've said it so many times. If you think Congress is going to figure it out, I'm just, I'm going to die of old age here soon. But what does it mean for you and I? It means that be the best citizen you can. Be the best neighbor you can. Be the best friend that you can. We need Christians in every corner and every crevice of the world. We need Christians who are salt as politicians. We need Christians who are salt as teachers or laborers. We need people who are employers. We need people who are contractors. We need Christians who are nurses and Christians who are salt as students. We need Christians who are salt as mechanics. Lord knows, right? We need Christians who are salt as coaches or doctors or teammates. We need Christians who are salt as farmers or ranchers or board members. We need Christians who are salt as government employees. We need Christians who are salt as council members, who are peace officers, who are servicemen and servicewomen. And the list can go on. You name the profession. We need salt there. We need that to be a place of influence. We need to not abandon the world. There will be one day when the church is removed from this world and all hell will literally break out. That will occur. It is not today. God has you and I, the redeemed and righteous church, here to push back. And and listen, we cannot influence the world for God when we are worldly ourselves. We have got to have it from a pure heart and a pure life. What else does Jesus say here? He says, you are light. Number two, you are light. And I built this first part, and it was large and big and and really all-encompassing. And what I, what I would say about this is we look at light. There's a, just a small couple verses on this one. Um, let's look at verse 14 in Matthew 5. You, you are light. You are light. I believe that our saltiness establishes a beacon of hope and a place to turn. He says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. And no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Light light always begins with God in Christ Jesus. We need to understand that. If we, we want to be light, it's not that you have some amazingness in you and your own abilities to say, oh, look at me, I'm the light. No, 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 that's not it. We start with God, right? John 1, 9 says the true light, that's talking about Jesus, that gives light to everyone was coming in the world. Jesus is the true light that gives light to everyone. Psalm 36, 9, for the wellspring of life is with you, God. <clears throat> By means of your light, we see. We see because he is light, not because we are. And speaking of God's then, again, God's redeemed, righteous church, this is what Paul says in Ephesians. You were once Darkness but now you are light in the Lord. In the Lord, not in ourselves, in the Lord. Walk then as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. This is the same stuff we talked about earlier. This is what salt is, right? It's what is pleasing to God. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. Don't don't participate in that. And I Again, I go back to that. Just even that 
That's saying no. Like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to participate. I don't want to say that. I don't, I don't want to speak that way about somebody. I need, or, or you need to stop yourself mid-sentence and say, please forgive me. I, I, I spoke too much. That's light. That's, that's, saying, that's just saying, I, I want to be honoring to God. But He's the one that brings light. And, and His Word brings light. Psalm 119, uh, 105. Your Word is a what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. See, we, we get this light and light and light and light from Jesus and it gives us life. Then what do we do with that? What do we do with that? 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this in 5-7. through When we go out, we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants for Christ's sake. We don't proclaim ourselves. That's the greatest thing. You don't have to go out and preach and say, look how credible I am. You go out and say, look how awesome Jesus is. He says, for, for God said, let light shine out of darkness as he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Why are we light? Because we have come to him in faith and his light has shown deeply in our hearts and it is overflowing and overwhelming in us. And that light comes from the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And, and, and he goes on and says, now we have this treasure. Light is a treasure. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a treasure. We have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. You know, we, we started, and the title of the sermon uh, was that we are to be influenced, right, for God's glory. This is all about people seeing God and being drawn to God and not ourselves. Without God's help, we are powerless. And I don't want to leave you discouraged. I can't be salt like you say, Brandon. I can't be light. You can't. But in Christ and through His power, you and I can be that. So we proclaim Christ and we trust in Christ. But again, just like the salt, we cannot give light to the world if we revert to places and ways of darkness ourselves. You cannot give light to the world if you revert to ways and places of darkness yourself. Be the light that God has called you to be. If you are in Christ, you are salt. You are light. So be salt. Be light to the world. I, I want to mention just the city on a hill the last, to close us. You think about that city on a hill analogy or even on, in a, in a, on a table in a room. There's two different things going on here. And I think sometimes we live in a world that's powered all the time. That, that city on a hill is like, what does that mean? Maybe for us who live a little more rurally, it, it's, it works. But when you're out in the, in the boonies somewhere, you're out far away, and you don't have a clue where you are or where, what to go, isn't it comforting when you see that light, that beacon? And, and I, I want you to ask yourself and think about your own story and, and how many people in your lives have been that, that beacon. It, it may not be bright and shining in your face all the time, but it was like, you know, when I remember, when I thought about, when I, when I recalled that person's story, when I recalled that church's influence in my life, when I recalled that Christian and how they were a good neighbor, I, I remembered. And I looked at that light and I went towards that light and I sat with that light and I asked questions. I, I, can't even, I, I can't even count the number. There's so many of people over the years, the last two plus decades of, of ministry in our community who have come back to this church or back to people in this church. Why? Because they were a light and a beacon at some point. And that light still shines brightly and still is to shine brightly so they can see it and then come back and say, that's 
where I need to be. That's what I need to know. That's, that's who I need to believe in. You see, when we are salt in the world around us, when we, when we obey and we're from a pure heart, we start to become a beacon of hope. Even if they resist it and they turn away, it doesn't matter. You've lit a light. And, and, and when it's even more personal, right? I think about that, that next thing. is you know, No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. But if you put it on the table, it gives light to everyone in the house. It's amazing what a little bit of light does, right? When the power goes out here in Siskiyou County, right? In the wintertime, there's four feet of snow. Isn't it amazing to have a candle or a flashlight? But it's amazing how much light a little lantern, a little, a little uh, candle puts off. And for you and I, in, in those conversations, people come in and, or we go to them and we start to talk. Our words and our, our, our compassion and our graciousness and, and the blessing that we are being to them as salt and light begins to illuminate their soul. And they can see this light. And, and whether, whether it's dim or it's bright, they're, they're starting to see that reality of truth. So for you and I, it's, it's so important to continue to keep that candle lit. And, and it happens because we knew we were salt. And we came from a pure heart because we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And now we can be a beacon of hope for people and rescue for people that say that there was something about that person. They left a mark. They held back evil. They spoke truth in grace and in love. They were compassionate. They were generous. They built my doghouse so awesome as a contractor, I, I would never hire anybody else. Whatever it might have been, we leave our mark as salt and light. So be salt. Be light. Stand together and let's, uh, let's close our service out. I'll ask the worship team to come back up. We'll stand. We'll, we'll pray as they come up. Prepare our hearts to respond in worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your, your love and your grace. And God, it is so difficult in a world, especially the world we live in today, to, to even venture out to be salt and light. But God, you have told us that we are salt and we are light. And it's not on our own ability, God, or our own um, power. It's on yours. So God, our, our responsibility is to obey, to humble ourselves. So God, help us to do that. Help us to humbly know you and make you known. God, that people would, would leave having been satisfied or healed or preserved because of the salt that we were. Or people would, would see the beacon of hope and light that we reveal because Christ overflows in our lives as the true light. God, help us to not be silent, but to speak, to be the righteous, redeemed church that holds back the evil for a time. We trust you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.